Your finances will leave a long-lasting impact on your family. After all, you only retire once. If you're looking to discuss all things pertaining to your retirement, you've come to the right place. This is Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. I'm Mark Kaywood alongside Michael Stewart. He is the founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial with an office there in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Find him online at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. Or you can reach out and call the office 815-526-3092. That's 815-526-3092. Don't worry, we'll repeat all this at the end of the podcast as well. So a couple opportunities to jump on board and reach out to Michael. You can reach the man himself. He's got about two decades of experience as a financial planner, and his office is a one-stop shop with a CPA, enrolled agent, and paralegal all on staff. They can help when it comes to all things financial and any retirement matters. And that's what we're hoping to dive into today. Michael, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mark. It's good to talk to you again. Good to be with you as well. We're excited, as always, to talk to you as we've got some good content we want to jump into today. Let's kick it off with a little bit of news. Extra, extra, read all about it. That's right. On the podcast, we love to see what's going on in the world around us, see how can we can apply it to our finances, especially in the world of finance. There's a lot of complicated and confusing news out there, so sometimes we try to unpack the headline a little bit. Michael, a recent headline I want to dive into, while unemployment has been falling across the board for a couple of years, it's been falling most quickly for less educated workers. The unemployment rate for workers over the age of 25 with less than a high school diploma is down to just over 5%. In other words, the job market for Americans who didn't finish high school has never been better. What do you take from this? Is education overrated or is this just a temporary anomaly? Yeah, I don't think necessarily education is overrated. I think it's really a function of a couple different things. One, with less than 5% unemployment, it's that much more challenging to find just bodies for the new job. Somebody still has to push the buttons, whether it's a highly skilled position or not. You also begin to see, and this is kind of the, the point of the article there, is that employers have begun lowering hiring standards. And let me give you an example. So it used to be, you know, five years ago or so, if you wanted to even just get a general reception job, you know, they were asking for a bachelor's minimum, you know, just for somebody that's going to file, answer the phones and those kind of things. And it seemed a little crazy that someone would have to go out and get a four-year degree for a very entry-level job. But that's where the labor market was. And that's not where we are today. Right now, they just need, you know, able bodies that are willing to show up to work. And if they do, then, you know, they're going to hold on and compensate the good ones because there aren't a lot of other options out there as far as available workers. So I think it's kind of a regression to the mean in the sense that, the whole labor market, you know, a decade or so ago kind of got over its skis and educated and, you know, employers could pick and choose. And now it's kind of gone back the other way where because unemployment rate is so low, they've got to kind of, and it's not even really a lower the standards, but maybe we have more realistic expectations of the qualifications for people going in. So I don't think education is overrated as much as it's just a great opportunity for individuals to get back in the workforce. Michael, how do you think the economy affects that, right? Because in 2008, people coming out of college couldn't get a job. But now the market's, of course, corrected. It's come back. It's moving up. The economy's never been better, yada, yada, yada. And so it's, of course, much easier for folks to get a job now than it was then. Correct. Yeah. And it's all a big cycle. So, you know, when the economy's booming and, you know, the unemployment's low, then it's really a job seekers market. 
And when you know things are kind of falling off the rails like they were in the last financial crisis, and there were you know a significantly large, you had ten percent plus unemployment. Now all of a sudden you're looking at employers, even if they are hiring, can be a lot more picky or require a lot of the things as qualifications because they have a larger pool in which to pull from. Well, thank you for your take on the state of affairs in the economy and the workforce. I know that's something that we get bombarded with those stats about the workforce, but so often they're politicized and we never know quite what to make of them. So thanks for helping us to unpack that headline. Now let's reach out and take a listener question from someone in and around the area. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. That's right. We do love to hear your questions. As always, we encourage you to submit your questions to the podcast. You can go online to submit a question at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. You could be featured on the podcast. And don't worry, we'll change your name if you want us to. We'll protect your anonymity, of course. But we do love to hear from you, especially as you listen to this every week. You could have your question featured here on the podcast. Today, we'll take a question from Oscar. Oscar is in Chicago, and Oscar says, I recently turned 50, congratulations, Oscar, which means I can start contributing more money to my 401k each year. Should I do this or not? Yeah, I'll kind of take this down two different paths. The first one is the hierarchy that I tell clients about when they come in and say, you know, should I be able to add more money to my 401k? And that's whether they're over 50 or under 50. One of the things that happens when you turn 50 is that the government lets you have higher contributions to your retirement plans as well as, you know, individual IRAs and that. So as an example, typically you can only put about $18,000 in your work 401k plan. That number goes up to $24,500 once you're over 50. And IRAs are normally $5,500, but once you hit 50, then they go up to $6,500, and they call it a catch-up provision. So that's what Oscar's kind of alluding to on here. The way that I approach it with clients is a couple ways. So the first one is, before we start talking about throwing more into our 401k savings, do we have kind of an emergency fund, a rainy day fund set on the side? You know, so this is non-retirement money, but if, you know, the furnace went out or we needed a new roof, we've got a place to go get it. So that's first and foremost. The second thing that we do is then say, okay, let's contribute to the pre-tax 401k, you know, especially if you're over 50, as much as you can to get 100% of the match that the employer provides. So that might be 3%, 5%, 6%, whatever it happens to be. After that, we back out, we go fund a Roth IRA. A Roth IRA, you don't get any tax deduction on it, but you get to be able to take money and invest it today with after-tax dollars. So it grows tax-free going forward. So if you're five, 10 plus years from retirement, that tax-free growth is gonna be far better than any near-term tax benefit that you get. And now if we still have cash flow available, then we go back to our 401k and try to max it out, whether that's 18,000, 24, five, whatever your own personal cash flow allows, that's the way you do it. So kind of in order is, do we have our emergency savings, employer match, fund the Roth, and then we would go back and max out the 401k. That's the most efficient way to have kind of a tax efficient portfolio on a go forward basis. All right. Well, thanks for writing in, Oscar. And of course, if you'd like more specifics on where you are in that process when it comes to paying off debt, if you're ready to contribute more, you can, of course, reach out to the team at Crystal Lake Tax. We'll tell you how to do that again a little bit later on in the podcast. But I do want to get into the meat and potatoes of the show today. And we've come up with this topic on hidden expenses because we feel like 
Michael, just because you can't plainly see all the expenses you'll incur during the retirement planning process, that doesn't mean they're not there. So we've picked five that we want to go through. There could be others, but we've picked five hidden expenses that we think you need to know as you're planning for retirement. The first are some of the expenses associated with mutual funds. Tell us about those. Yeah, some fund expenses are found in the prospectus and others are harder to uncover. So sometimes you look at a mutual fund and even if you're doing your due diligence and you look at it and you're like, hey, it's internal fee is only, you know, half a percent. But if you dug a little deeper in the prospectus, you know, I call them the prospectus is, you know, 300 pages in Bible print, you know, written by attorneys and all the fees are disclosed about a page 280 or so. So nobody ever gets that far. But the way we look at it is, does that really pick up all of your costs? So a lot of times the mutual fund expenses, which you think that they are for management, there's 12B1 costs, which are marketing costs, there's transaction costs. So your true all-in expenses can be significantly higher than what you think that they are. In addition to that, are you paying an advisor, either an upfront commission every time you put money in, or is there an asset under management fee attached to it? So now you've got a broker fee on top of the mutual fund fee, and so, you know, there's a lot of those fees that aren't very transparent. But when I say non-transparent, that just means that they are disclosed somewhere in that prospectus, but nobody reads it. They don't show up on your statement. So, you know, you think you're paying 1%, but I've seen people paying as high as 2 or 3% until they kind of dig into the weeds a little bit and find out what they're truly paying on those mutual funds. And next hidden expense I want to dive into here. Let's talk about the variable annuity. Of course, you probably know, Michael, that this is sort of a controversial investing product. You can get into that if you'd like. But I specifically want to talk about the fees associated with variable annuities. Yeah, I don't think there's any bad products necessarily. There's bad applications for individuals. I Great think that way that's to say the that. key. So, so I don't necessarily say, you know, the variable annuities are bad, but most instances, they're sold, not bought by individuals. And a lot of people kind of get half truths about what they're actually buying. So here's how variable annuities are sold. Someone will walk in to you know, a financial institution, a bank or wherever it happens to be, a broker, and they'll say, hey, you want you know, stock and bond market participation, mutual funds, great, I got this great investment for you. It's called a variable annuity. It's issued by an insurance company. You get to invest in all those mutual funds, which they call sub-accounts, and oh, hey, we'll add some kind of bell and whistle rider on it that'll either give you a lifetime income or you know, protect your principal over 10 years, whatever it happens to be. But that's usually where the disclosure stops. So when I break it down with a client, they walk and I said, hey, let me just sell you on what you already own. Okay, you wanted, you know, let's say, you know, mutual fund stock market participation, and you could have got that for about half to 1%. Instead, what someone sold you was, well, since it's issued by an insurance company, there's an M&E fee, a mortality and expense fee, that's about 1% on average. The sub accounts, which are the individual investments within them, those carry their own fees of about 1%. And for that bell and whistle, that extra layer on rider benefit is another 1%. So I've seen the typical variable annuity client that comes in and has a rider is usually paying somewhere between three and 4%. So I've had people at my conference table recently where they've had a half million dollar variable annuity. And, you know, so I said, when I go through the fees, I'm like, you're paying 15 to $20,000 a year in internal fees alone. And then they're wondering why it's not growing. Well, it's not growing because it's hard for any of your investments, even in an up market to overcome those fees. You know, so that's the one thing to be concerned about from a variable annuity is just making sure that if you are paying that high level of fees, that you're actually getting some benefit out of that. 
All right, so we've talked about a couple of products and some of the fees associated with them. Now I kind of want to shift and talk about some other expenses that, like a fee, they're going to eat into your retirement portfolio. So you may not think of them as a fee per se, because we're not talking about products at this point forward in the conversation, but these things are going to eat into your retirement if you're not careful. The first one is inflation. Yeah, so inflation is out there. And inflation for the layman just means that it's cost of living. Everything that you buy today is going to be a little bit more expensive next year, five years, 10 years plus now. Now, what most people don't realize, especially when they're planning for a 30 plus year retirement, is that the cost of living or inflation, basically everything doubles every 15 to 20 years. So let's say you're retiring today and you're 62 and you need $50,000 of retirement income. That just means by the time you're in your late 70s, you're going to need about $100,000 of retirement income just to buy the same amount of goods and services that you're buying today. And why that's important is that you need an income that not only can you not outlive, but a rising income that keeps up with inflation. So you need to build that into your projections going forward. Now, Michael, something else that could be going up in the future, taxes. Right now, they're at historic lows, which we don't know what's going to happen going forward, but presumably they're going to go up. No, absolutely. They're going to go up. So despite all the rhetoric and the recent tax cuts at the end of the year with the new tax act, the personal ones were not made permanent. They were temporary. And even if Congress in the next few months or so passes something to make them permanent, it's not going to last very long. So if anything, probably the most important thing about this podcast today is that people come away with that taxes are going up. We're $21 trillion in national debt. 10 years ago, we had $10 trillion in national debt. So even though we've been in a nine-year straight-up bull market economic expansion, we have more than doubled our national debt. And that doesn't even include the $100 trillion-plus of unfunded entitlements in Social Security and Medicare. And once again, all of this is in a nine-year market recovery when we've had an economic expansion. You know, And if that's not bad enough, what's going to happen in the next economic downturn? You know, that becomes very real as a consideration. If we've continued just to expand the debt when times are good, what's going to happen when the next recession or the next market crash comes up? And so the reality is that taxes have to go up. It's just simple math and science. We can't fund future liabilities by stealing from the future to pay today's liabilities. What we need to do is focus on the fact of what incremental changes need to be made. And those changes are either taxes need to go up, services need to go down, or both. That's well said, Michael. My dad, you know, was always interested in American history and politics, and so he always pointed out that there's two ways to cut a deficit. One's to quit spending, the other's to raise taxes, and nobody seems to be quitting their spending, so you can only guess where taxes are going to go long term. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's tax increases. Now let's move on and talk about something else. This is, again, maybe another shift, but it's a hidden expense you want to be aware of, and that's your lifestyle in retirement. So specifically, what I want to talk about is increasing your leisure activities as you retire. You're no longer working, you want to get out, you want to travel. You know, every day is a Saturday, right? So there could be a hidden expense involved with that. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, with the exception of, you know, maybe clients going into retirement, you know, and getting rid of their mortgage or car payments or those kind of things. Most of the other expenses they have in life are going to be about the same. Your property taxes are going to be the same. Your utilities are the same. You know, your general expenses for gifts and things are the same. So, you know, a lot of individuals go into retirement being like, oh, hey, you know, since I'm not working, I'm not paying the dry cleaner or driving to work. I only need 50 to 75 percent of my pre-retirement income. The reality is it's a lot closer to 100%. Once again, unless we're getting rid of big debts before we go into retirement or so. And, you know, and I, I've got three kids of my own. And, 
you know, one of the things you always hear, and my parents used to always say it, was that about idle hands getting in trouble, you know, with kids and nothing to do. And, and it works the same way for retirees. All of a sudden, you may have this great budget, this great plan on what you're going to do, but you got a lot more free time on your hands. You know, so like you said, every day is Saturday. So you start treating it like Saturday. So you start traveling more. You start volunteering more. You start spending more time. You know, if you're inclined to do home repairs or side projects or crafting, you tend to do more of that. All of a sudden, the travel, the hobbies, the home improvements, or just boredom in general, all of a sudden, more dollars start kind of leaking out than originally planned. You know, so that's where, from a financial plan standpoint, we kind of put the screws do it a little bit and say, let's tighten this thing up a little bit because this is money that's got to last us the next 35 years. So Michael, as we're going through these expenses, I'm sure a lot of folks listening are thinking, okay, well, where are the expenses in my lifestyle, right? What are some ways that I need to cut down on spending? Where are some of these hidden fees and the products that I own? If somebody wants to really kind of dive into the nitty gritty, how are you able to help them do that if they come in for a visit with your team? Yeah, you know, typically what we'll do is, you know, we build for clients what we call the retirement success blueprint. And that's whether we're going to become the money manager and financial planner form or if we're just putting the plan together. And we sit down in the first meeting, we have a discovery meeting and say, okay, here's where you are. What are you trying to accomplish? Can we add value to what you're currently doing? And that's whether it's, you know, lowering fees or helping with the budget or making sure we have a, an income we can't outlive, whatever it happens to be. If we decide to move forward, both of us, and we're a good fit at that time, then we'll have a series of a couple more meetings where we'll put that plan together and really kind of sharpen the pencil and say, okay, let's get a full written financial plan that's going to you know, provide for our long-term care. It's going to provide for low investment fees and how we're going to manage this money to get sustainable, predictable income over time and still allow you those increased leisure activities at the same time. Of course, if you'd like to reach out to Michael Stewart and the team at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial, you can call 815-526-3092. That's 815-526-3092. Again, that's your number to reach out to Michael Stewart and the team. Crystal Lake is a one-stop shop with a CPA, enrolled agent, and paralegal all on staff. They can help when it comes to all things financial and any retirement matters, so don't hesitate Reach out to Michael and the team, 815-526-3092. Thanks for checking in with us on the podcast. And Michael, thank you as well to you for joining us today. I enjoyed it, Mark. Thanks. We'll do it all again next time on another edition of Retirement Matters. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The information provided herein is for training or educational purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities, investments, investment strategies, or investment advice relating to securities, nor is the information or representation that any security is a suitable or appropriate investment for any person. Before acting on any advice, you should consider the appropriateness of the advice having regard to your own objectives, financial situation and needs. Please contact us to obtain our disclosure brochure relating to the services offered by Sound Income Strategies, LLC, and consider its contents before making any decisions. Where quoted, past performance is not indicative of future performance. Sound Income Strategies, LLC does not represent or warrant that the contents of this program are suitable for you from a compliance, regulatory, legal, or any other perspective. We shall have no responsibility for your use or non-use of the program or any portion thereof.